0: From New York City, the City of Ambition, Aspiration and Desire, this is Populax with Fomae Serdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Through Populax, I hope to bring to you all the fun and profound ways my guests Accomplished creatives from across ages, cultures, and professions relate to one object of desire at a time. Aida Sykes is one of the most promising young leaders in the African continent today. After an early career in investment banking following her studies at Yale University, Aida came to NYU Stern for her MBA. She worked as a consultant for several years. Luckily, consulting comes with an added benefit, globe-trotting. She loves that. She's now with the International Finance Corporation in her native Tanzania, where she works with a country manager to implement strategic initiatives for Tanzania, particularly as they apply to business development, entrepreneurial financing, and gender equality. She recently published her thoughts on African luxury in a book review for the journal Luxury History, Culture, Consumption. Her opinions are the result of the numerous conferences she has organized in this space and her exposure to entrepreneurship in Africa. I consider her to be the best informed and most promising young voice on African luxury today, and I welcome the sunshine she brings to all our conversations.
1: It means daughter of the sun. So it was my dad's grandmother's name maternal grandmother's name Wa uh, Yua. Why you are. yeah, so Yua is son. it's a hard J. Yua is son and then moi is of and it's usually feminine, so it's daughter of the sun.
0: How nice and how pertinent <laughs> to our discussion <laughs> <laughs> about luxury. So Aida Sykes, welcome to Populax. Thank you Tomai. You're coming all the way from Africa. You're coming all the way from Tanzania. Well, right now you are in Cape Town visiting. Yes, I am. Normally you're in Tanzania. So you have a very specific relationship to luxury because you're someone who has been exposed to aesthetic ideas of luxury through your African context but also you traveled a lot since a very early age so tell us a little bit about your relationship to luxury and some of the most important experiences that you had
1: I would say that um, luxury for me has always been aspirational and um, functionally speaking Luxury in its pure aesthetic form has always been a little out of reach. I mean, I was raised by a single mom, grew up in East Africa. We were solidly African middle class, but in terms of money um, by global standards, Western American standards, we didn't have a lot. So even travel, I had the opportunity to travel at a young age, but it would be like visiting family, school trips. It really wasn't purely for leisure. So in my 20s and now 30s, as I get to travel more and more, it still never ceases to amaze me how easy it is for me to travel and how how much autonomy I have over my travel. I mean, even this trip to Cape Town, I decided it maybe 12 days ago. And that's not something I could have done growing up. So I continue to appreciate that. And in that sense, that is a luxury, right? I don't take it for granted. Um, but I'm still traveling economy. I'm in an Airbnb. So I'm not yet traveling the way I aspire to travel. But when I travel, I am able to fit in luxury. So, you know, the story that I've been thinking about that has been the purest luxury experience of my life um, so far um, was when I went for lunch at um, at the Ritz in Paris in uh, July 2019, and it actually contrasts well with an experience I had last night, because we, we spent the night in the Winelands, and we had dinner at a very fancy, luxurious place, the Dallaire Graff Wine Estate. And, and in terms of price, look, and feel, very similar to the Ritz Paris. But because of that missing element of luxury hospitality, we had a bit of bad service, delays, everything. It's not sticking in my mind as a luxury experience that I want to think back on. And it it contrasts completely with the the Paris experience for now. I mean, I'm not going to touch on luxury perfume and fashion. I mean, there's a whole universe of that. This universe
0: is very subjective to each one of us. We all desire different things. But I really like the way you framed this experience. And uh, it's, of course, what makes a lot of businesses succeed or fail, But for someone like you, who has spent time traveling in Paris, spending years and years in New York City as a student, and having really uh, experienced a lot of interesting places and, and met different people, it makes a huge difference. So what I would like to hear, because this is actually the premise of the podcast, is getting a little bit more... Detail about the materiality of how this luxury hospitality experience unraveled for you.
1: So my lunch in Paris was actually a birthday present um, from my family. My birthday's in June, and I had this trip planned. And before leaving, my mom, and my sister, they like pressed this envelope in my hand of cash, and they're like, "Take yourself somewhere nice." And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to Paris." And I just thought to myself, what's going to be an iconic Parisian food experience? And I, you know, I didn't think of of Georges sank for some reason. Maybe it's because it just doesn't live in my imagination as much as as it would for people who, I don't know, are part of the food scene. I, I don't know what I thought of were the hotels, and specifically, I thought of the Ritz. So, and I I'd visited Paris before, and you know, walked past and. I didn't go in but this time I was like you know what that's where I'm going to go. So I booked ahead of time, booked my lunch and even the online experience already started feeling refined and I mean I time for me is circular <laughs> but I made sure to be on time. Like I I had my dress, I had I had my my espadrilles, you know, like it was summer and I was I was ready. Um, got my cab, got to got to the hotel, and from the moment I walked in, I was just treated like an honored guest. Because I got there early, my table wasn't ready, and because it is what it is, they were like, "We can't really seat you earlier. We are on a set schedule." But they invited me to a tea room, kind of in front of the of the garden. So I sat and I was like, "All right, well." Let me have something. And they put in front of me, um, they got me water, um, some sparkling water. And then they gave me a menu and I was like, all right, what should I have? And I remember thinking, okay, I was like, let me have a hot chocolate. I looked at the price um, and actually I, I have. Um, <laughs> so I kept the receipt from from the lunch um, and it's tucked into my diary as something that reminded me that this experience happened. So um, I, it's in the other room actually because I travel with my diary, but I won't go pull it out. But I looked at the price and it was eye-watering. I'm pretty sure it was in the 20s of euros. But I was like, this is an experience. Let's go for it. And then to me it came, but it was like, my French hot chocolate, like I think it was like uh cream, like chocolate dissolved. I think it was, but it was like very luxurious chocolate, but it came with like three or four little bowls of things. You know, there were like these little chocolate covered balls. There was some like, I think caramelized nuts or something. And there was a third thing, plus the tray and the little spoons and everything. So this, hot chocolate that I was just supposed to keep me busy until my lunch turned into this experience. And the waiters were so patient and smiling and just lovely. I mean, there was somebody at at the next table over who was like, you know, I can tell designer items and these weren't smattered with logos, but I knew what they were. And I was there at like my little long shop and I was like, oh, okay. But I, you know, the, the, the service was the same, but I will admit something that I just think about automatically is I look around and I'm like, you know, am I going to be, how do, how do they treat black people here? Like what, what's that experience going to be like? And I looked around, I wasn't the only black person. There was an older black gentleman, but other than the two of us, there were no other black people there, but, you know, I, I went in just focused on my experience, not self. I mean, again, the privilege of having traveled and, feeling comfortable um, in in the global north. I, I was quite relaxed, um, have enough French to like be cool. So um, I just went with the experience and then I was called to my table and then I was like, oh, but I'm having this. I was like, don't worry about it. We're going to transfer it to your bill. Come on, madame. So at that point, I'd already had two waiters. They took me to my table and there were a new set of waiters. It was, it was so lovely. I, and I'm going back there now. Like as I describe it to you, I'm I'm back um in in the garden, and I you know I I placed my order and funny enough like the menu wasn't that amazing. There's this sole that they do there that's for two, and I was just alone, so obviously I was not going to have the sole. Um, I think it was a sole monier, and the thing that I could eat that appealed to me was like the pigeon, and then I knew I'd have a cherry dessert. There was a cherry pie dessert, so I was like, all right, I made those two orders. They got my order. And then food just started coming out. I got an amuse-bouche. I was like, all right. Then I got this like tower of like little things, like little sandwiches, little tarts. And then I think, yeah, they gave me a wine for each of those meals, I think. And then my main came and they got me a third wine. And then my dessert came and they changed the wine again. At this point, I've had like, Four waiters just waiting on me. I remember everything, like the the crockery, the, the cutlery, the glassware, and then even after my dessert, I think they gave me another tower of things, and these were like little little desserts and you know and and, and petit four and things like that. That that was it, you know. My my menu came. I paid. I tipped. They're kind of like McDonald's. You don't have to tip. I was like, I'm not gonna tip. And that was it. My time at the Ritz for now, for that moment, was was up. I left. I was tipsy. I went to the Musée d'Orsay. I rode the Ferris wheel and it was just and I went to like a a French comedy show. It was a lovely day and, you know, super premium all the way to like back to my my normal world. But um, it was it was so special. and, And I think part of what made it special is that there was nothing budget about it. So I think I've talked to you about like designer items I've bought at sample sales or through like staff discounts somewhere where I interned, you know, after college. And so it's a, what I'm thinking of is Valentino shoe I have. It is a Valentino shoe, bought at Valentino, but without the luxury retail experience to come with it. So it's, it's just a Valentino shoe. Whereas my Ritz experience was an experience anyone would have like there was no nothing shortchanged. it wasn't there was no discount it was it was it was a pure luxury experience I'll go back inshallah
0: I'm dreaming as I'm listening to you uh, describing it and describing it so well in details right it's all the physical details that make the actual experience including the receipt that you have kept but I have yes. a a challenging question for you Aida yeah. i would like to know what was going through your mind as you were enjoying the pleasure of that experience that was unfolding with you in it
1: yeah. i just felt very lucky i um i felt very grateful i mean for me it was thinking about my entire life journey to get to that point Um, You know, the, the sacrifices my mom made for me to get the education that I got, that helped me get the jobs that I got, that helped me have the income to do these things. These days, there's more and more talk about how young people are affording certain lifestyles. And for young women, especially, there's always a question mark. Is it your dad's money? Is it a sugar daddy's money? What are you doing to to be there? So to be able to be there on my own terms, in good health, in a pretty dress, you know, like I just, I just remember having a smile on my face with, with every bite. I mean, my, my taste buds were having a feast. A blast. Um, Yeah, it was, it was a blast. And I mean, I was also doing some people watching, you know, looking at like the French people and other, I think it was mostly Europeans that day Um, in in the, in at the hotel it was a full sensory experience I mean I can I was listening to the fountain I was watching like the sun yeah it it, it was gratitude it was it was it was also amusement I was like what am I doing here (laughs) (laughs) um it's um but it was also this sense of like I mean the clock was ticking right like with each meal with each glass of wine I knew I was coming closer to the end of of this experience, I wasn't a guest there. This isn't a place I normally eat. So it was, I mean, there there was that temporal element as well. Maybe that's what makes us appreciate these things more. I mean, in our classes together, we talked about the impact of time on luxury, right? Whether it's, it's the time from when a brand is launched and it evolves and it builds up heritage, whether it's the time it takes to make something, whether it's the time it takes to just leave something alone, like a wine, for example. Like we were at a, uh, we did wine tastings yesterday and today. And, you know, you're, we had a 2008 vintage. To, to enjoy the, the luck, the, the, the privilege of a 14-year-old wine means waiting 14 years. So I, I think time and luxury are are always intertwined and and i think that that's also where the it's fleeting do you know what mm-hmm. i mean like luxury can be fleeting but because it's fleeting it's sometimes more valuable so yeah i knew i was in a moment of time that was going to be running out soon and all i could say is think to myself is well the sooner this finishes the closer i am to the next time
0: and this relationship of how these Employees are attending to the needs of the visitors and the respect, the Mm -hmm. respect that they show. It goes back to this idea of tangibility of luxury that uh, you really need to translate if you really want to be in that market. You translate the concept into very specific elements that are physical, they're material, and that punctuate the experience that each one of the customers has with the brand. Mm -hmm.
1: So last night I knew that we'd be having this conversation. And even when, when we booked this, this, this appointment when we rescheduled to tonight, I knew that, okay, I'll be in Cape Town. And I knew it would be after the wine lands and after like some lovely dining experiences. Um, and honestly, first of all, they've all been largely positive. Like I have had some delicious meals this week. But yesterday uh we had dinner at this beautiful winery, the Delaire Graff estate. They're called, they are call themselves the gem of the winelands or the gem of Stellenbosch, something like that. And it's, you know, it's luxury to the max. And it started off well, beautiful hotel, beautiful view, you know, really charming staff. Um, I was with two girlfriends, an American, two American friends, actually, one uh, blonde American, one um, Asian American and myself. And one thing I always just I'm prepared for when I come to Cape Town is usually being one of the only black patrons Mm -hmm. in a venue. Um, That's just the reality of of this part of the world. But still it's something that you just have to kind of suspend reality about and and enjoy yourself. Otherwise you'll just always be stressed. So, you know, that part was, was fine. Although being the only person at a luxury restaurant in Paris feels different being one of the only Black patrons in a restaurant in Africa. You know, it's always at the back of your mind that there has been some enormous inequality that still persists to lead to, to, to those um, types of reality. But I, it was brought home to me that so much of luxury hospitality is about the full experience and not just the food because the food was was quite delicious. We ate at the Andersheen, uh restaurant, but there were delays in the food. Something was forgotten. It led to, it threw off the rest of the menu. and then it was just this wait time. And you know they tried. They brought some wine. They, you know, apologized. But you could feel the magic leaking from, from the evening. And, you know, even by the time the food came, it was obvious, like I'd ordered a duck dish. That was supposed to be a confit duck, but it was cooked on a hibachi instead. And you can just tell that, like, the staff is nervous. Something has been thrown off, unclear why. And even though I love duck more than pigeon, let's say, I hadn't eaten pigeon before the Ritz, haven't eaten it since, it was about the experience around it. And I just we left feeling so disappointed. They threw in a free dessert. They removed the alcohol from the menu, but it was kind of like we were ready to spend money. So yes, it's nice that there was a discount because it was subpar, but when you've tuned yourself for a luxury experience, you want your money to go and you want the luxury to come back. I don't know if any luxury hospitality or aspiring luxury hospitality brands are, are listening. It's just to say you can never, ever lose the, the, um, the magic of, of that dining experience. And it's around staff. It's around timing. It's around atmosphere. Because, yeah, you you don't want to feel disappointed. You want to look back on it two and a half years later, the way I am with the Ritz, and, and be back there. Again, it was a direct contrast. And magic is
0: so directly related to operations,
1: mm-hmm. something that
0: we don't really think when we think yes. about branding, but branding is operations and how yes. everything needs to run around a particular yes. schedule and, and program. I got nothing else now on that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, this is this is wonderful. Uh, it was a birthday, right? You were celebrating your yes. birthday? Yes, my friend Sabrina's yeah. birthday what was the reaction? Did you get any, I mean, I saw there is a little bit of movement on LinkedIn on your
1: article. Did
0: you get yes. any reactions? Yes.
1: So, so far I know people have opened it. Um, friends, family, um, one of my very good friends um, read it and, and she, she got back to me and, and I'll just uh, read to you what she, what she wrote because it's exactly what I hoped to have people engage with. So she said, Love the article. And I agree with you that very few brands are truly luxury brands. I also believe the erasure of laborers and marketing taints things in some ways. Is it truly luxury if a brand has sweatshops in China or very low paid laborers in leather processing plants in Italy? These brands are very secretive. Is it luxury if the workers are under horrible conditions? And, you know, this is my oldest friend. We met on the first day of first grade and some of these conversations we've never really had. Mm -hmm. So to have stimulated, you know, that those, this conversation even between us is, is already a win. I mean, for me, luxury now, like when I, when we, when I was your student, luxury was just about me getting a job in New York or Paris and kind of one day starting something in my home continent, Mm -hmm. you know, getting jobs in those markets didn't work out. So I came home and just focused on, you know, other aspects of the economy that I could contribute to, working with startups, working in consulting, and now working in development finance. And along the way, luxury has now become part of my development vision for my part of the world. And it's, 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 it's about challenging kind of the, the notions of luxury that have been established right, by, by the status quo, some of those being around the invisibility of labor, some of those being around secrecy. Is there an advantage to kind of losing some magic by exposing your operate, not exposing, by, but like opening up your operations to scrutiny, and that scrutiny leading to an increase in magic if you are working under fair labor conditions, under sustainable conditions, and then what makes a luxury brand takes on a new meaning. Um, I, I think we in Africa have an opportunity to create a new kind of luxury that is that is more humane, quite frankly, that's more inclusive. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's even, I don't want to say more honest in the sense that other parts of the world are not honest. But Let's really acknowledge the true and full cost of luxury, and then build bonds with brands on a more on a more transparent basis. I think, and then if we can take that to the rest of the world and influence how the sector um, operates in in other parts of the world, that's that's an an even bigger bonus. um, Mm -hmm. If you ask me, Um, I actually, I wrote to the the editors of the book yesterday, I sent them the link. So I don't know if they'll read it. I hope they do. I, I would love to hear what they think. Hopefully my thoughts resonate. And even if they don't, I'd love to hear where they think, you know, there could be some, some disagreement between us. And then Take the conversation further. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on what African luxury is. It's just about including as many people as possible, especially now in, in defining what that could be. Yeah, I don't know. It was posted on a Friday. So who knows what next week brings exactly. in terms of reactions. <laughs> more,
0: more, more interactions, <laughs> more exchanges and more ideas, right? That's that's the whole purpose of any kind of writing, But uh, again, I want to thank you, Aida. You are a new voice in the space of African luxury and a very strong one with all the training and all the exposure that gives you the experience to tackle the field. So I'm really honored that you stopped by today to speak to us at Populux and we will welcome you back.
1: Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) And I would love to come back.
0: From New York City, the city of ambition, aspiration, and desire, this is Populax with Thomae Serdari. Populax is the place where we bring attention to objects of personal luxury, objects of desire, objects that have shaped our experience. Populax is a series of stories of desire recounted around one object at a time.